0: New podcast. My name is Carolyn Smith Hilmer, and I am Sixth Avenue's very own Final Girl. And I'm so excited to be back. Happy New Year! Um, I took the month of December off. I was traveling. I went home to visit family and um, met up with friends, and, and just took some some time off for myself. So I really hope that you all enjoyed your month of December, whatever holidays you celebrate. I hope that they all went fantastically. I hope that if you still like to keep the Santa spirit alive in your household that you uh, got some really good gifts from Santa Claus this year. And yeah, I I really enjoyed my time off. Um, It should be no surprise to my um, loyal listeners that I had to talk about Saltburn. It is a phenomenal film. I watched it um, when I was home, um, visiting my family during one of my nights where I had some downtime. I recently rewatched it so that I could talk about it for this episode and I really enjoyed it. So I do apologize that I didn't cover it sooner, but like I said, I took last month off. So, um, I hope that it's not too late for some of you to listen to what I have to say regarding this film. And if you have seen it, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um... One other exciting thing I have, uh, in terms of updates in my life is I am going to be attending the 2024 Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah, and I'm very excited. I'm hoping that I'll be able to bring you guys, like, a a little recap of my time there. I'm, I'm really excited to go. This will be my first film festival that I'm attending in person, um... I've never been to Park City, Utah, I've never been to Utah in general, so I'm very excited to check it out. There was a slight hiccup in ticket booking, I would say. Um, it's it's rather difficult to get into certain showings on the opening weekend of Sundance, which is when I will be attending. So, my recap may not consist entirely of the Midnight films, which is their um, title for like thrillers and and horror. that's their category for thrillers and horror and you know, dramas and maybe art house as well. So I do apologize for that. I, I have a couple tickets booked for some of the midnight films. Um, I'm hoping that as seats and tickets get released as it comes time closer to, The festival and you know some people start to move their schedules around that I'll be able to switch tickets with somebody for maybe another midnight um category film so I'll keep you guys in the loop on that but I'm very excited to bring you my thoughts my feelings recap of the films that I watched um I don't think I'll be able to take notes during the viewings like during the actual films but, of course, I will try to, like I would like to, um, just even for nothing else but my own personal benefit. But um anyways, that is something I have very exciting coming up. Now, moving on to the topic at hand today, Saltburn. Saltburn is available to watch for free right now on demand with um, Amazon Prime. So if you are an Amazon Prime subscriber, then please feel free to take advantage of watching it as many times as you want to. I'm a little worried that it might move to another platform and or be um, not free at a certain point in time. So I would definitely take advantage of watching it now. But Salt Burn is a 2023 release rated R, two hour, 11 minute runtime. It's a bit of a lengthy film and it is a slow burn. Not to overuse the word burn. It's a bit of a slow burn, but I promise that the payoff is beyond worth it. Um, It was written and directed by Emerald Fennell, which is also the director of Promising Young Woman, if you've seen that film, starring Barry Keegan, Jacob Elordi, Rosamund Pike. There's so many phenomenal actors and actresses in this film. Richard E. Grant, um, Archie Matawicki, Sadie Soverall, I mean... Millie Kent, it, it, the list goes on and on. Everyone in this film is absolutely phenomenal. And who doesn't love to watch Barry Keegan? I mean, we we love him, right? He was the star of the show in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which, as you all know, is one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen. And honestly, I think it was mainly in part because of his performance. He is such a talented actor, so creative, so dedicated so willing to put it all on the line and we will talk more about what exactly i mean by that as we get going but of course for those of you that haven't seen or are not familiar with it we have to go to our our bible imdb to read the description a student at oxford university finds himself drawn into the world of a charming and aristocratic classmate invites him over to his eccentric family's sprawling estate for a summer never to be forgotten and I'm sure this goes without saying but I certainly have not forgotten about the film so um, there's a lot of things not to be forgotten here but looking at the film itself it opens with a cigarette being taken out of a cigarette box not like the cartons that you buy but like the fancy ones where you like Take the cigarettes out of the carton and you put them in like a nice little fold up box that looks better in your pocket and is something that I've maybe only seen ever once in my lifetime. But being that uh, we're dealing with a bit of an aristocratic high class family and discussion about class in this film, it makes sense. The cigarette gets lit up and then we have a montage of Oliver. That's Barry Keegan's character. He is speaking over a montage of um, Jacob Elordi's character, Felix. And he's talking about how much he loved him, but was not in love with him. How everybody fawned over Felix. And how he thinks that Felix liked him so much because he protected Felix and loved him and was honest with him. We get the title screen right off the bat. It looks like it either came from... Like the 1950s or a Monty Python movie or both. So creatively would not have been like my first choice. But again, I didn't, I didn't write this film and I didn't direct this film. But I can appreciate the title screen coming at the beginning of the movie. So we get a slow pan from the sky down to ground level to look at a courtyard at Oxford which is where Oliver will be attending university so good for him and as he's kind of like walking through the courtyard and walking through the campus the song is playing in the background of Zodak the priest and the words kind of the lyrics kind of um, give you a bit of foreshadowing as to what will happen throughout the course of the film lyrics like God save the king long live the king very fitting a group of students walks by Oliver as he's making his way to his dorm room and comment sarcastically hey cool jacket he's wearing his high school letter jacket I mean if it's the only jacket you have please wear it I I don't personally find a problem with it but uh, it was just a way to make fun of him right out of the gate right So, from his dorm room, he watches on as the man who just made fun of him and a bunch of other really cool, pretty-looking people are smoking cigarettes and laughing outside. Later, Oliver goes to dinner in the dining hall and he sits at an empty seat across from another student named Michael. And Michael immediately comments, like, we're both singles, we have no friends, look around, everybody else knows somebody... Everybody else has already made an acquaintance or friends. It's just you and me left pretty much. And um, Michael comments that he's reading books about math and he doesn't really like math, but he's really good at it because he's a genius. So he presses Oliver to ask him a sum question or like a, a mental math question. And Oliver's like, no, it's okay. Like, I, I believe you. Like you said, you're good at math. Like, that's great. I believe you. Michael ends up screaming at Oliver to ask him a question anyway, so he does. Who the fuck has any clue if this question was answered correctly or not? We can assume that it was, because, again, Michael told us he was a genius. So, throughout his time at Oxford, Oliver has, like, a professor-mentor-tutor-type relationship with a professor. And... This professor is not really impressed by Oliver at all. He's from a town called Prescott that the professor has never heard of. And he asks Oliver, like, hey, how was the summer reading list? And Oliver tells the professor he read all the books on the summer reading list. And then the professor makes fun of him by saying, like, well, even I haven't read all the books on the list. Like, why did you read all those books? My question is... Why give a summer reading list if you're not supposed to read the books on the stupid list? What's the fucking point? And Oliver kind of feels similarly, you can tell, because he's like, Well, you gave me a list of books and I read them. I don't know what else to say. So in walks the man who made fun of Oliver's jacket not long ago. And his name is Farley. So these tutorial sessions are... Like, I guess two student sessions are not one-on-one, so Farley will be his tutorial partner, so to speak. And Farley is apparently related to Frederica Start, which is his mother. And the professor comments that he knew Frederica before she moved to America and was named Frederica Catton. That was her maiden name. So Farley is American. That's one thing to note, because he's the only American in the film. The professor admits that he used to very much admire Frederica, but that they never spoke, so he asks Farley not to bring this up to his mother at all, and Farley comments after Oliver reads an essay that he wrote, like, for part of his summer reading, and um, Farley keeps commenting on Oliver's use of the word thus in his essay and says, it's verbose, and it's not what you argue, but how you argue it, and so on. So he's basically commenting on how the style, like the, how, how it's written and not the actual content that was written about. And that kind of irritates Oliver. So throughout the year, Oliver keeps seeing Farley and this other group of hot, cool people on campus. And in the library one day, while he's staring at a group of these people... He's interrupted by Michael, who says that they're both losers because they did not get invited to a party that everybody else got invited to. It's like a Christmas theme party, and Michael's like, "Well, you know, not that I would want to go anyway," which we all know means you really wanted to be invited and you weren't, and that sucks. So Oliver ends up going to the, sta- the same establishment that the party is at, but he ends up playing pool in like a back room alone while everybody else rages on and is dressed up like sexy Santa. on campus though oliver encounters felix finally this is the first time he's going to talk to him waiting by a tree because his bike tire is flat and felix is like well it kind of sucks because i can't get to my tutorial session because my my bike has a flat tire and i'm already late and so oliver actually offers felix to use his own bike and he's like look i'll just get the bike back from you later like we both go to the same college felix does not appear to uh know that so felix thanks oliver very sincerely and gives him a kiss and tells him he loves him and you know just expressing that gratitude for allowing him to use oliver's bike Oliver walks back to campus with Felix's bike and, um, the books that he was going to return to the library at a bar later, Oliver and Michael drink at a quiet table in the back. And, um, Oliver's like, Hey, like I'll get the next round. No worries. So he goes up to the bar and on his way to the bar, he sees Felix at a table with some other of the hot, cool, pretty people. And, um, Felix introduces Oliver to the group by saying he owes Oliver a pint after the favor he did for him by allowing him to borrow his bike. Oliver very quickly denies being at the bar with Michael, um, and just leaves him in the dust, which is kind of shitty, but... I mean, I can't say I would have done that, but Oliver, you can tell, has been seeing Felix and this group of people around campus, and he's really intrigued by them and wants to get involved with them, so he's pretty much just willing to leave michael behind the group as the night goes on they pressure oliver into going to the bar to order a round of shots for the group since it's now his turn to pay and he goes up to the bar and farley who's also at this table um is the one who is pressuring oliver to buy the next round and felix looks at him and is like hey take it easy on this oliver guy like another round of shots is going to be extremely expensive and farley's like i don't care he it's his turn to pay so oliver goes to the bar and he's trying to talk to the bartender and he's like hey i don't have the money for this right now i can come back and pay you tomorrow but like i sincerely don't have the money to pay you right now but i'm gonna look bad in front of everybody else if i don't get this round of drinks and the bartender is like dude like i'm not like no Like, you're not going to just take the drinks and not pay me. That's not fair. So, Felix, quickly, acting like he doesn't know Oliver, approaches, and he's like, Hey, I found this money on the floor. Um, I was going to keep it for myself, but figured I'd better give it to you. So, kind of in a way, like, you can tell it was Felix's own money, but he's just doing Oliver a favor to not embarrass him. And so, he pays for the drinks and oliver's like hey i'll get you back like you didn't have to do that and um felix is just like i don't know what you're talking about i'm not going to accept your money the next day he wakes up super happy he's been celebrated and welcomed into this group and he and felix continue to hang out and party together throughout the year at a pub felix tells oliver that farley is his cousin because his aunt farley's mom ran away to America at 19 to get away from the Catton family. Felix's last name is also Catton, by the way. So he tells Oliver that his dad felt so bad about everything that he offered to pay for Farley's education, and that's pretty much the only reason why he's at Oxford. He says that Farley's been kicked out of almost every good school and prep school in the country for sucking off the teachers. So, Farley is a bit of a sexual deviant, um and Felix kind of probes about Oliver's family and Oliver's like look my family has a lot of mental health and addiction problems and I really don't speak to them much so Felix asks Oliver multiple times how awful was that was it awful tell me was it really awful like it's almost like he can't understand or picture what that life would be like and it's almost in a way like putting oliver down beneath him by being like oh it must have been so awful like tell me more like he loves to hear about terrible life events i don't know it's very odd so then felix leaves oliver to easily scoop up a girl to go have sex with from the bar later in the library michael approaches oliver to tell him that he looks different and that felix will get bored of him And accuses Oliver of being a bootlicker because um, Oliver is what I would consider probably middle class. And Felix is obviously part of an elite class. So one day, Oliver is walking through the courtyard and he's walking behind Felix and behind a girl that he's chatting with. And the girl is talking to Felix and she's like, look... I don't want to invite oliver to the party because i have nobody that i have nobody to put him next to it's like a dinner party um and he's boring he's of low class no one wants to be paired up with him at dinner like he doesn't have anything to talk about which is really sad so near the end of the school year it's really hot in the dorm rooms because there's no air conditioning of course and felix is laying on the floor smoking a cigarette in his dirty ass room like it hasn't been cleaned in forever. And Oliver starts to clean it up and he's like, it smells bad in here. Like, just let me help you. And he's like, look, only rich people can afford to be this dirty, which kind of makes Felix like a little bit upset. And he's like, look, you're driving me crazy. You're not my mom. You don't have to clean up after me. Maybe you should just leave and um, I'll catch up with you later. So Oliver's like patiently waiting for a text from Felix to meet up with him. And he never hears back. So he goes to the pub that they hang out with anyway to see if he's there. And of course he is there. So Oliver sees him there and he leaves and he goes home disappointed. But then in the room, or excuse me, in the hall of his dorm building, he sees a girl that's been waiting for Felix. And he's like, well, I have alcohol in my room. Why don't you come hang out with me? And he tries to hook up with this girl himself. Now, the hookup is unfortunately not successful because she's like, do you think Felix will be jealous that we did this? And he's like, honestly, I don't even think this is going to register with Felix that this even happened. So because Felix not going to be jealous, the girl gets up and leaves. That's, that's it. So the next morning, Oliver wakes up. He takes a phone call from his mom and he goes to Felix's room and tells him that his dad died. By cracking his head open on the pavement after being drunk. So he's like hysterically crying. Almost. I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's hard to explain. He um, he goes into Felix's room. And Felix is kind of just like, like a light switch goes off. Like it flips for him. And he's like oh right my friend. That's who you are. So. At the end of the year. There's a beautiful party. And Oliver is standing in a tux that he rented. And the only reason that I could even tell it was a rented tux is because Farley walks by him and says, Wow, nice tux. It has to be a rental, right? The sleeves are too long. Like, who does that? He says, You're almost passing, Oliver. And Oliver's like, What do you mean? I don't know what that means. And Felix goes, I don't know. As, like, a human? Which I guess is to imply that he is considered to Farley like a robot of sorts with no personality, but that's okay. So Felix ends up walking by Oliver and they leave to go somewhere private with a bottle of liquor. And they just kind of hang out and they chat. And Felix is like, okay, look. In my family, we have a tradition where after somebody dies... You write their name on a rock, and then you throw it into a body of water to commemorate their passing. Let's do that for your dad. So they get the rock. They write the name. Oliver throws it. It doesn't make it into the water. It lands on the ground, and he's like, well, that can't be good. So Felix and Oliver are chatting, and he's like, you know, are you going to go home? You have to go see your mom. Like, you know, you can't just leave her behind. And Oliver kind of says... I don't think I'm ever going to go home. And then he tells Felix a story about how when he was eight, his dad made him stick his fingers down his mom's throat to throw up so she would not die in her sleep from alcohol poisoning. That's fucking terrible, right? Nobody should have to go through that, especially as an eight-year-old. So Felix offers to have Oliver come home with him to Saltburn for the summer, And he's like, if you get sick of us, you can just leave. No big deal. But we would love to have you. So, Oliver takes a cab ride from the train station to Saltburn, where he's greeted by closed gates. Which, obviously, is when you're approaching an estate and the gates are closed, it's a bit ominous and very unwelcoming. I also think this part is really funny, because whenever he gets dropped off, he has, like, a suitcase. And... Oliver, instead of walking on like the paved, you know, circular driveway or walkway, he walks right across the perfectly manicured grass with his suitcase, which I just think is so funny. And so it's it's only something that somebody who has never experienced like (laughs) perfectly manicured grass and lawns and shrubbery would do, like he just wouldn't do that. Um... So, anyways, I thought that was pretty funny. But, anyway, he gets to the door. And the butler greets him. His name is Duncan. And Duncan says, You're early. We weren't expecting you just now. Next time, you should let us know. So that way we can open up the gates. And we would have sent somebody to pick you up. And Oliver's like, No, it's fine. Like, I didn't mind getting my own ride here. It's, but thank you. And as soon as he walks in... He is immediately fascinated by how beautiful the space is. And Duncan tells him to leave his bag. Somebody's going to take care of it. And Felix swoops in to save the day. Tells Duncan to stop being so scary to his friends. And gives Oliver a tour of the home. You can tell, though, that Oliver is completely enamored with how much history is in this home... How much um, there's, like, artifacts and expensive, irreplaceable artworks. And Felix just doesn't care. He walks through the home and he's like, this room is red. This room is blue. This room is green. Dead relative. Another photo of a dead relative. Like, he just doesn't care. He doesn't appreciate, necessarily, the significance of the things inside of his family's home. Which... I can, I can understand in a way, like, if you grew up something in some similar fashion, you probably wouldn't either, but Oliver is obviously fascinated. So, finally, they arrive at um, Oliver's bedroom, and Felix tells him they're going to be sharing a bathroom, because otherwise, if they didn't, then the bathroom he would use would be, like, all the way across the property, be, like, a mile away. And I'm sure that's not an exaggeration. So he tells Oliver, this is going to be the bathroom that we share. And, um, by the way, Oliver, my mom has a phobia of facial hair. So there's a razor in the bathroom for you. That way you can shave. And when you're done and when you're ready, meet us in the library and, um, just be yourself. He shaves. Everything's fine. The family is in the library and they're kind of packed into this library room and they're watching super bad which i find really interesting um i personally love Superbad, and i can tell you right now that if i ended up a on the top 10 most rich people in the world list that i would probably still watch super bad myself but it's just funny to watch an aristocratic family watch that movie it doesn't really makes sense, but anyway, they're enjoying it. Elspeth, Felix's mom, is chatting with another woman who's a guest in the home named Pamela, and she's talking to Pamela about how tragic Oliver's life has been. And Oliver kind of overhears it. He walks into the library, and Elspeth immediately stops talking about the tragedies of his life and is like, you're so beautiful your eyes are beautiful I have such a fear of ugliness and you are just not ugly um Felix basically tells his mom that she's a terrible person for how shallow she is and she's like oh nonsense like that's ridiculous I'm not I'm not terrible at all so she asks Oliver to sit with her on the couch and tells Pamela to go find Annie who's a staff member To make some tea and basically shoes her out of the room. Elspeth explains to Oliver that Pamela has been staying with them until she gets back on her feet. And basically says that Pamela cycles through men and now she's with some weird Russian billionaire and asks Oliver to divulge everything about his life. Because nothing shocks her at all. Obviously he's a little uncomfortable with that because... He just met her so later when oliver returns to his room he finds that his suitcase has been unpacked and he's like telling felix like oh i didn't know somebody was gonna unpack my suitcase felix says he should have warned oliver and that the family dresses for dinner so there's one of his old suit jackets in the closet for him oliver's like okay well if you would have told me like i could have brought a tie and i could have brought jacket like it, it wouldn't have been a problem but felix is just like you know it's fine you can just wear mine there's no reason for you to bring anything just wear mine but you will need cufflinks did you bring those who carries cufflinks around just for the hell of it like if he didn't bring a suit why would he carry cufflinks no oliver's like yeah no i didn't bring cufflinks like sorry Felix is like, no, it's fine. I'll I'll find some for you. No problem. You can tell at this point that Oliver doesn't really know what it truly means to dress for dinner. So he's a little taken aback. At dinner, Elspeth tells Pamela not to drone on about her troubles in life. And that she's welcome to stay for however long she needs to. But then, Pamela says she might have found a bedsit to stay in. And Elspeth tells her, oh, of course... That would suit you very nicely. It is so much less cleaning and so much more freeing to live all in one room. <laughs> we can pretty much imagine that Elspeth has likely never lived that way, even though she tries to act like she did by saying that when she was younger, she rented a a flat and... Anyway, it, it's it's not resonating at all. So that night later um oliver finds Venetia, who is felix's sister outside and approaches her he's in his underwear but he has like a blanket over him like wrapped around him and he's like hey it's kind of cold outside you can have this blanket and then he's just standing there in his underwear and she comments about how maybe they're cold-blooded but not cold And he's like, well, no, your family's been so kind to me. You're not cold-blooded at all. And Venetia says that she can see why Felix likes Oliver so much while staring at his penis, but then looks back up at his face and says, it's because you're real. Venetia also comments that she likes him more than the boy from last year, which is a bit troubling. At breakfast the next morning, Oliver comes to the table and he sees everybody else is eating and he sits down and he asks for a full English breakfast. Um, there's something I want to dive into later about that, but if you've ever stayed at, you know, any type of luxury resort or like a five-star hotel or anything like that, you kind of know that You order the eggs from the staff, and they cook it to your liking, and then everything else is kind of on the side, so they have to explain this to him, and um, he orders sunny side up eggs. Okay, fine. The family at the table over breakfast is discussing the poet Percy Shelley and about how This woman, apparently, there's a story. She had a doppelganger that walked by the window. uh, Like, a doppelganger of herself. And, like, it freaked her out. And, anyway, she she drowned later that day. Then Farley says that he thinks, Actually, Percy fucked his sister. And Oliver goes, No, I think that was Byron. So, Oliver, you can kind of tell, is like, He's pretty with it, okay? He's like... He knows a thing or two about a thing or two. But when he's given his eggs from the staff... He looks at them and he goes... Mmm. And Felix is like, what's wrong? And Oliver's like... Runny eggs, they kind of make me sick. Why the f- Why did you order sunny-side-up eggs... If you know that you don't like runny eggs... That's what a sunny-side-up egg is. So you can kind of tell he's like beside it. He d- he's just not really sure how to navigate this. Um, Duncan takes his plate. No problem. He'll get him some different eggs. Then the fun starts, right? So in the afternoon, Venetia, Farley, and Felix are in a field and um, on the property still. And they're reading, and Felix goes, Hey, trunks? Not allowed. Oliver takes off his swim trunks and he is absolutely butt ass naked and everyone is surprised by how large his package is and I don't know if anybody else finds it troubling that an entire family of young people are laying down in a field of weeds essentially uh naked together I find that a little odd but that's not for me to say I guess um The way that the other half lives uh, sometimes doesn't make sense to me. Cue the montage. A couple montages in this movie. Well done, I I will add that. Montage of them. They're all swimming and sunbathing and reading and watching the grudge and playing tennis drunk and their nice dress clothes and their suits and it looks like a lovely summer. Oliver impresses Felix's dad, James, by knowing about some 16th century ceramicist who made the plates that they have in their home and eventually oliver sees a toy box maze replica of the maze on the saltburn estate and there's like a metal marble inside of it you can kind of push around and duncan of course because he is just everywhere somehow um scares the shit out of oliver after he's touching it and oliver's like hey sorry i didn't mean to do anything i'm not supposed to and duncan says a lot of people get lost in saltburn is he talking about the maze is he talking about like what is he talking about one night oliver hears moaning coming from the bathroom that he and felix share and he peeks in To see Felix masturbating in the bathtub. After Felix leaves the tub. And the bathroom entirely. While the water is still draining. Oliver puts his face into the remaining water. Of the tub. And begins to slurp up the water. That Felix had just bathed. And masturbated in. And... I find this scene to be incredibly disgusting, because there's no amount of money you could pay me to drink someone else's bathwater, But also because he's, like, sucking on the drain of the tub. I mean, even, even in a brand new tub, I still cannot fathom a world in which I would do anything like that. After dinner one night... Oliver and Elspeth are sharing cocktails and they're kind of chatting about Venetia and Elspeth talking about her own daughter, by the way goes, yeah, she's been sexually incontinent since she was 14 and she's bulimic and it's not even worth it because she's still fat. Venetia's not even fat by the way, like not at all. Um, And she comments that Venetia was born a masochist. And Oliver comments that it would be hard to have a mother like Elspeth. And she's kind of like, well, why would you say that? And he's like, because you're so fucking beautiful. Which is not a lie. She's stunning. Rosamund Pike is, like, one of the most beautiful women that's ever walked the planet. Um, But then they get to chatting about, you know, how, you know, he's happy to hear that Pamela left because she seemed a bit lost and he poses the question that maybe not everything Pamela said was true and that maybe her stories were a little inconsistent at times and Elspeth agrees that she noticed as well and that there was something very sinister about Pamela but she reassures Oliver he's very perceptive and you know basically saying like thank you for validating me even though I don't think that Elspeth really knew that um I think she's just agreeing with Oliver because she thinks like, oh, I trust this kid. He knows more than me, blah, blah, blah. That night, Oliver sees Venetia outside again and he goes to see her. And he tells her, wow, you're in a see-through nightgown right outside my window. And she's like, well, I didn't really think much of it because this is my house and I can walk around however I want to. And I could, that didn't mean necessarily anything by it. I just this is what I wear to bed and so he gets in her face a little bit and he's kind of like tomorrow you're going to eat your food and you're not going to throw it up because you're beautiful and you need to take care of yourself then he gets down on his knees and gives her oral sex which at first she doesn't want because she's on her period but I think it was almost like she was a little bit actually more embarrassed by what Oliver would think. Um, but he doesn't really care. He rubs some of the her menstrual blood on her face and neck. Um, and, you know, there's there's blood, right? She's on her period. There's blood. It's fine. Like, I don't know why. Everybody was freaking out about this scene and I don't know why. Like, if that grosses you out, like, grow the fuck up. Okay? Honestly grow up be an adult but Farley has witnessed this entire encounter between the two of them and says wow you stupid stupid boy Oliver goes upstairs to take a bath he's still got blood fresh on his lips and the next morning Venetia eats her breakfast and Oliver gives her an extra croissant that she obediently eats So good for her. Elspeth proposes a party for Oliver's birthday and that the theme will be Midsummer's Night Dream. And during this conversation, Felix is being very standoffish towards Oliver, which is weird because he's not usually that way. Later, Oliver goes to find Felix to hang out and sunbathe with him, but Felix is ignoring him. And finally, Felix confronts Oliver about this whole getting with Venetia thing that Farley told him. Oliver tells him he went outside to simply check on her because she was just sitting outside and she got the wrong idea and tried to kiss him but he steered her away so Felix tells him that Farley said you guys were practically eating each other and Oliver's like I can't believe you really believe Farley so Felix accepts that Farley is a liar and says that he had a previous friend named Eddie who fell in love with Venetia and made things weird That same night, Venetia waits outside of Oliver's window again, but he does not dare go down to see her this time. The next morning, Oliver overhears an argument between Felix and Farley, and Farley is upset that the Catton family is throwing a 200-person party for Oliver, a kid they barely know, while his own mother lives in squalor. And Felix is like your mom hardly lives in squalor like that's ridiculous like I don't even know why you would say that and Felix is like you know basically just trying to talk Farley out of this idea and Farley is like well she will be if you don't you know send her some more money like this is absurd she's gonna live in actual squalor if you don't help her soon Farley kind of brings up the idea that this might be a matter of race um Farley is the only non-white person, um, like family member. And so he's kind of thinking maybe this is a race issue. And he asks Felix and, um, Felix is like, this has nothing to do with race. I don't even know why you would bring that up. But Farley probes him by asking him, what about Liam and Joshua? Felix is like, I don't know who Liam and Joshua are. Who are those people? And Farley's like, oh, well, there are two members of the staff of the estate, but they happen to be also non-white. So he's kind of insinuating that non-white people don't mean as much to Felix as white people do. And, um, Felix is obviously very upset by that. So there's a lavish dinner party later that night and Oliver is prompted by others at the table. Um... To speak but he starts by speaking to Venetia who's sitting on his left when really he should be talking to the person on his right um, and he ends up in a conversation with this woman and you know she's like oh I married into this family of such and such and so and so and like the dude's an idiot but like we have kids together and blah 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 Venetia tells Oliver she doesn't want anything to do with him and that they're sexual escapades are over because Felix warned Oliver off and he's basically just another one of Felix's toys so she doesn't want anything to do with it they all do karaoke after dinner and they sing really weird songs like Flo Rida and Usher and like it's just and it's it's like why those um it's it's just so strange And Farley catches Oliver alone. And they talk about paintings on the wall. And finally Oliver goes, Well, why don't you just fuck me? Why did you tell Felix about me and Venetia? And he kind of taunts Farley with the knowledge that Farley's mom, Frederica, is poor. And that it's a shame that he has to ask Felix for everything. So Farley goes back into the room where everybody's doing karaoke and he's like this is a song from our special guest oliver and the song is rent by pet shop boys and if you haven't heard that song it's basically about being poor and having somebody else pay your rent and somebody else pay for all the stuff for your life essentially oliver is upset by this and and takes offense as i would as well And says, Farley, this is your song too. You have to come finish it. Like implying almost that they're on the same level because they're both, they both came from, um, parents. I shouldn't say families. They both came from parents who are not necessarily the most well-off. Oliver leaves and goes to the bathroom where he punches the mirror and breaks a glass. He then goes into Farley's room while he's asleep. And straddles him and wakes him up to ask him if he's going to behave now. When Farley says no, Oliver starts to give him a handjob. And continues to ask until he finally says he will behave. Oliver continues the handjob to completion. To our surprise, the very next morning, the mirror is completely replaced and Oliver is shocked there's loud discussion in the you know lower floor of the home between farley and elspeth and they're arguing about farley trying to steal something at the pond later that afternoon felix venetia and oliver sit together and felix tells venetia and oliver that he found an email that farley sent to softbees about Having some plates to auction off. So Venetia's like, well, I'm surprised because Farley is, like, almost more spoiled than we are. I have no idea what she means by that, or if... I mean, that that just tells you how disconnected everybody is. Elspeth finally joins them at the pond, and after a lively discussion between her and James about how hot it is outside, she says they're like listening to music in the background and she's like i haven't heard this song in forever and she tells a story about how she used to hang out with bands like oasis and this is while she was modeling and that the song common people came out and everybody thought it was about her but she denies this because the song talks about a woman from from greece with a hunger for knowledge and she says that she never wanted to know anything so it couldn't possibly been about her She's enjoying this hot weather so much, she says she's disappointed that she has to go to London for Pamela's funeral. So unfortunately, Pamela did die. Again, another instance, Oliver hears Felix moaning in the bathroom while he's in the bathtub, but this time the door is locked and he can't see it. Cue the montage of Felix being hot and Oliver being sad. On the morning of Oliver's birthday, they meet in the bathroom and Felix says to wear something nice because they're going to go on a road trip. So after driving for a long time, they finally arrive at Oliver's parents' house. And Felix says that he answered the phone, Oliver's phone, which happened to be a call from his mom who sounded sober and doing well about a week ago. And he tells Oliver that she told him that Um, Oliver had not been ignoring his call or had been ignoring his calls and hadn't spoken to her in weeks to our surprise upon their arrival. Oliver has a dad and he's alive and he's well, and his mom is well. And they're just a lovely middle-class suburban family with um, a lovely home. And, um, Felix kind of forces Oliver to sit and chat with his parents And Felix is kind of, like, almost doing it as a way to, like, learn more about Oliver. Because now he's like, well, you told me your dad was dead, but here he is. And you told me your mom was an addict, but here she is. And she's clearly not. Um, And his parents talk about Oliver's sister. Sisters, excuse me. And uh, (laughs) Felix is like, oh, that's so funny. Because Oliver actually told me he was an only child. And his parents kind of write it off. Like, oh, like... It's fine. Um, He always wanted to be an only child anyway, so I'm not surprised that he never told you about it. They ride home together that day in complete silence. And when they get back to Saltburn, Felix tells Oliver that he needs to leave after the party that they're throwing for him. Oliver finally admits that he lied just so he could be Felix's friend. And Felix says that he will not tell his family about this, um, after the situation with Pamela passing and, um, they kind of kick Farley out because of the suspicion of him trying to sell plates in the home for auction. Too much has happened. It's too much drama. He doesn't want to tell his parents. Oliver goes and cries in the bathroom, but he pulls himself together for the party. And this party is like crazy lavish everybody's in costumes there's entertainers and sex and alcohol and food and it's just absolutely stunning and oliver wears deer antlers as part of his costume which is very funny to me because he was also in the killing of a sacred deer so i don't think it was a play on that but um i couldn't help but notice that i just thought that was funny So Oliver pretty much spends the whole party looking for Felix to try to talk to him. And Felix is not interested in talking to him at all. But he finds Felix in a room smoking cigarettes with people and asks him to talk. But Felix, not willing to budge from his party activities and tells Oliver to fuck off and bother someone else. As the night goes on, of course, everybody's getting absolutely hammered. And lo and behold, our surprise guest Farley arrives to the party. When he approaches Oliver, he has a mask on, but Oliver knows exactly who it is before he takes the mask off because he has on his signet ring. And Farley comments that Oliver really does notice everything. Farley admits to Oliver that he was invited by the Catton family and does a line of coke. He also explains to Oliver that Oliver doesn't belong here because Saltburn is a dream and that after tonight is over, Oliver will never have any of this again. He'll catch a train the next morning to go wherever the fuck and Farley will always come back here because it's not a dream to him. It's his house. And that next time, Oliver should try harder. So, being that it's a birthday party, they have a cake. The entire party goes to sing happy birthday. But when they get to the part of the song where they have to say happy birthday, dear... They don't know his name. Nobody knows his name. So it's just totally silent. So can you imagine a room full of 200 people who don't know your name? Humiliating. After that, though, Farley is just doing coke. Like, he is getting paid to do coke. Like, doing cocaine is Farley's job, okay? And he's, if it was his job, he, like, yeah, he would be the highest paid cocaine doer At a party in the history of the world. Again, like I mentioned, Oliver pretty much spends the whole night just, like, looking for Felix so that he can talk to him. And eventually, he finds Felix in the center of the maze. And Felix is having sex with a girl. Who is, like, propped up on a a statue. A large statue of a um, minotaur. Of course, Oliver cannot contain himself now that he's finally gotten Felix alone. So he interrupts Felix during his sexual escapades and Felix is upset. He tells Felix that he's, like, really emotional. He's crying and he's like, everybody puts on a show for you and that he was sorry that his performance wasn't good enough. And Felix is kind of like, dude, like, I think you need help. Like, real help. You need to... Check yourself in somewhere, and you need to figure this out because you're kind of scaring me. And he's so drunk, he throws up. He and Felix part ways, and Oliver continues to walk around the grounds of Saltburn after the party is over and everybody's gone. Unfortunately, the next morning, Oliver wakes up to yelling and screaming of Felix's name. All of the Saltburn staff are looking for him venetia and farley are searching the pond elspeth is in the maze and eventually you hear a scream and this scream is on par okay it, it's like in the same um league as tony collette's scream in hereditary when she finds out that her daughter's dead but this is elspeth's scream for finding felix's her own son's dead body in the center of the maze With his wings, like his costume still on from the night before. Now here is the most interesting part of this movie. And I think if you had to pick one scene from this movie to show anyone or to argue for any type of award, like why this film would be a contender, it's this scene and this scene alone. Venetia, James, Elspeth, Farley, and Oliver sit down at the table for lunch. Like a formal sit-down lunch. The staff have prepared lunch. Elspeth and James are eating. Farley cannot even touch his food because he's so upset. Venetia is drinking wine and not eating her food. And Oliver is trying to eat his food like he understands that this is a formality and that they are they're expected to eat the food right so he's trying duncan interrupts lunch to ask if he can go down to the maze to help the coroner and the medical team to help locate the body because they keep getting lost James is like, dude, just go. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, dude, just get it over with. So Elspeth is trying to basically act like everything's normal. And so is James. And and she's asking Oliver to talk about the party from the night before. And he's like, oh, it was lovely. Thank you very much for it. Like, trying to show gratitude. Although it's kind of weird that Felix's parents are not more upset about the passing of their son. And, um... He's like talking about the cake and he's like, yeah, normally I don't like chocolate cake. Elspeth is like, yeah, well, you know, so-and-so, she makes lovely cakes. She makes the best cake. It's, it's not dry and what have you. And then, of course, Duncan comes back again to ask if he can close the curtains in the dining room because the coroner needs to wheel the body past the window. He can't quite get them shut at first, but when he finally does, they're like a sheer curtain and they're red. So the whole dining room turns red from the light from the outside, you know, coming through these curtains. It's very ominous. And James plugs his ears and Elspeth throws up her food in her napkin from the sounds of the gurney rolling by with Felix's body on it. Farley asks to be excused from lunch, but James screams at him to shut up and sit down and eat the fucking food um he can he can barely eat so he mean he doesn't want to and he's kind of like i can't believe we're all going to sit here and act like everything's okay this is just absurd and elspeth just tells him like what else what else are we supposed to do like life still has to go on I, i don't know what exactly you're hoping So Oliver tries to play into Elspeth and James ignoring of the current matters by commenting on how good lunch is. And Farley says, Oliver, why are you still here? Oliver brings up that Farley had drugs that he had been distributing the night before at the party. And James freaks the fuck out and is like, you got to get out of my house. You're never allowed back here forever. You're kicked out of this house. Venetia, james elspeth and oliver attend felix's funeral it's a very beautiful funeral um not that you would expect anything less but the most beautiful funeral for this man they tell oliver hey we'll meet you back at the house james elspeth and Venetia write felix's name on a rock and throw it into the water and they leave um Oliver behind to meet back at the house but Oliver decides he's going to go to the burial site of Felix's body and casket and the dirt is still loose it's fresh it's just been dug and he cries on top of it and um (sighs) dare I say this is the most disturbing part of the film um and I don't really even know how I'm going to say this to you, honestly, but he, he's crying. He's laying on top of the dirt and, um, he takes off all of his clothes and starts to fuck the loose dirt on top of the casket. Yeah. Mm. mm Okay. Oliver, back at Saltburn, um, James wants Oliver to leave. Elspeth does not. So there's a bit of discussion regarding that. And later, Oliver walks in on Venetia taking a bath in the bathroom that he and Felix shared. He walks in on her and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And she goes, you know, your politeness is so grating. And she proceeds to go off on a monologue about how she felt so bad for Oliver, seeing him sobbing at the church at the funeral. But then she started to laugh because she remembered that he only knew Felix for six months. She tells him that she has nothing to do. Like Oliver has nothing to do with Felix, with the family, with the estate. And somehow he's still fucking here and he's a complete stranger to them in many ways she tells him that james started to call him spider-man because he's always skulking around weaving his spider web but reassures him that she doesn't think he's a spider she actually thinks he's a moth because he's quiet and harmless and drawn to shiny things And beats up against the window because he's so desperate to get inside. She comments that Oliver is going to eat them from the inside out. That he's a freak. And suspects that he's wearing Felix's underwear. And he's an absolute nobody. It's a pretty hurtful... um, You know, part of dialogue. But very impactful. And inevitably they kiss because there's this weird sort of sexual tension between them still but she backs away and she cries in horror and the cut to the very next scene is of her in the bathtub still dead and the tub is full of her own blood and her blood is all over the floor again another funeral Elspeth, James, and Oliver throw a stone in the water for her as well. And after a couple days go by, James meets with Oliver and asks him to leave Saltburn for the sake of his wife, Elspeth, and for the sake of himself, and so that they can grieve as a family alone. They're kind of tired of having visitors. They, They really don't want him there anymore, and he tells Oliver that he should leave discreetly tonight. Don't say anything to Elspeth. I really think that this will be beneficial. So Oliver tries to talk James into letting him stay because he doesn't want to leave Elspeth and her state of mind and depression, but James is just not buying it. So James takes out the checkbook and is like, how much will it take? How much will it cost for you to leave? In the early morning hours, Oliver is uh, seen with his suitcase, leaving Saltburn. Sometime thereafter, in a coffee shop in London, Oliver's seated at a table working on a computer and he sees Elspeth come in and order a coffee. He read in the paper recently that James has died, so now the only member of the family remaining would be Elspeth. Um, She approaches him and she says that she just bought a flat around the corner and apologizes in a way. For the way that James had treated Oliver. And they both agree that neither of them have been happy lately. And she invites him to come back to Saltburn to stay with her. Because there's nothing in the way now of um, them hanging out together basically. And it's now that we realize the whole time. There's these scenes of Oliver like enter. They're cut within the film. And he's um, like smoking a cigarette and talking. But you don't know who he's talking to. And he's just kind of sitting in a suit and 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 talking he's also narrating a little bit here and there and it's at this point that we finally realize that those scenes he's actually been talking to Elspeth the entire time while she's on her deathbed in the Saltburn estate she's she's on you know all of her they basically set up like a hospice for her essentially and she has a breathing tube and and everything like that and he walks right up to her body And blows a cloud of cigarette smoke in her face. Well, she's not even breathing on her own, so I I imagine that's not helpful in any way. Even though I know you used to be able to smoke in hospitals, that still doesn't appear to be helpful to me. But he tells Elspeth that he appreciates that she has trusted him and it's such a shame that she fell so ill. He tells her what a pleasure it is to have taken care of her. And he says, unlike you, I actually know how to work cut montage, but this montage is different. This is a montage of how Oliver orchestrated all of these events to get to where he is. Now he punctured Felix's bike tire so that it would be flat and he would run into him and have an opportunity to speak to him. He pretended not to have money to pay for drinks at the bar. He actually had money, paper money, in his wallet and acted like he didn't. He sent the email from Farley's computer to Softbeast to auction off the plates to frame him. And he placed himself at the coffee shop pretending to be working on his computer. And you see what's on his computer screen at this point. And he was just trying to look busy. He basically had a Word doc open and was just typing gibberish. He tells her that he loved Felix, but sometimes he really did hate him and ultimately admits that he just plain hated him. He removes the sheet from Elspeth's body and says that he hated all of them and at this point, you're thinking, he fucked the dirt. Is he gonna fuck this woman while she's unconscious, like in a coma basically? Like, that's not okay. But he gives us a small surprise and he doesn't do that, so that's good. He says he hated all of them because they have no natural predators. And at this point, he climbs on top of her. And I'm telling you what, this scene... Um... It's not the... so I don't know how to explain it. The sound is something that I'll never get over. He rips the breathing tube from her body. Not gentle. At all. Um, he rips it like... Um, the guy taking, you know, the sword and the stone or the stone and the sword where the sword is stuck in the stone and, like, only one person can get it out. He rips it out like that. I mean, and flings it over the top and there's blood and she's choking and it's disgusting. And there's another small montage where it shows that he's responsible for the deaths of Venetia and Felix also. He puts his head, um, his ear, really, against her heart. Um, And listens until her heart stops. And then smokes a cigarette in her room while looking over her dead body. The final scene is Oliver listening to a song titled Murder on the Dance Floor. Which is a bit fitting. The lyrics are a little too fitting for this scene. And he's dancing around completely naked um, around the, the home. And now that it's under his care, he's just, he's the only one left. And that's, that's the film. That is Saltburn. Um, it, again, like I said, you probably listened to the first 45 minutes of this episode and thought, wow, this is um, not terrifying at all. And this is kind of just A regular movie. It's not a regular movie by any means. It is 100% a thriller. In every aspect. Um, There is a bunch of satire. In the film. Um, And I can't. Almost in a way tell. I think a lot of it depends on. The class. In which you grew up in. So for example. A lot of it felt like satire to me. Um. The way that they pretended that nothing happened and had lunch right after they found Felix's body. It was uh it was it was actually funny, uh, that scene, and I, I hesitate to use that word, but I laughed during it. It was quite humorous. And ultimately this film just boils down to class so um maybe if i had grown up in some sort of elite class or like aristocratic class of people maybe i would feel a little differently there's a lot of nuances um in the film that again maybe you wouldn't catch and some of which i mean i didn't even catch like for example The reason that the breakfast scene when he orders the runny eggs is funny is because when he sits down at the table and asks for a full English breakfast, that is not how someone from that class would order a full English breakfast. Um, It's they would call it something different. And, you know, he orders a sunny side up. He orders his eggs sunny side up, but doesn't really fully know what that means and obviously doesn't want to eat them because he doesn't like them because he didn't know what they were before he ordered them. Essentially, when discussing class with how it relates to this film, my initial reading was not... Um, maybe not what you expect. So I think the overall theme for me is is a type of eat the rich theme. Okay. This, we have this man, young man named Oliver who has, um, made himself appear as this quiet and humble and, um, low class person who's, you know, basically harmless. And he's like sort of infiltrating this wealthy elite family in an attempt to, um, eat the rich right like he is wanting almost the downfall of this class of people this family of people and he does so in a parasitic way by literally pretending to be someone he's not coming into this family and and ruining it from the inside right now my first read of this was that it was almost that the director was, like, trying to convey that um, the middle class or lower class of people is not... Um, I don't want to say this wrong, but basically, my initial read was that um, the, the message to convey... That the director wanted to convey to the audience was that the lower classes underneath the elitist class are are parasites right like they want to come in and they want to destroy and they want to take and they want to burn and they want to pillage everything that you have but on a second watch i understand that that's not necessarily what could be entirely accurate this family the kattens they're not wealthy because they invented some product or because they solved world hunger or what have you they are this way because they were born into this life which is something that Oliver could never have right he wasn't born into this family he wasn't born into this life so therefore for him it's it's actually unachievable but he wants it anyway and in a way that's kind of where you see the true comparisons um, or the true similarities, I should really say between Oliver and Farley Farley was not necessarily born directly into this family because his mother, Frederica, basically you know, escaped the family and started a different life in another country, but he still has the relationship to the family he's a cousin of Felix and Venetia and He sees Oliver as such a threat Because He and Oliver are basically the same They are You know Felix is funding Felix and James and Elspeth are funding Farley's mom Frederica's life in another country They're paying for Farley to go to school They're um, They're feeding him Right They are the hand that feeds him However, Felix also feeds Oliver, right? Um, He's paying for drinks at bars for him. He's inviting him to stay at their estate over the summer because he feels like he has nowhere else to go. And that's why Farley sees him as such a threat. Like, he's even jealous that they're throwing Oliver a birthday party when they could be using the money to give to his mom so because he's not part of the immediate cat and family he's just as much of an outsider as oliver is essentially so the threat lies in that he doesn't want to compete for resources with oliver although the cat and family has enough resource more than enough resources to go around and what i find to be even more interesting about Farley's character is that he is so threatened that he tries to like bully Oliver in every sense of the word to prove to everyone else that he's not worthy to be at this estate with this family doing these things, receiving these gifts of parties and lavish and whatnot. Oliver though... Is a complete outsider in terms of familial relationships. Which is why Felix takes him on as a charity case. And this is not an uncommon thing to do. Sometimes wealthy people take on people who have had unfortunate circumstances in their life. Or come from maybe not the best background. Or or even just a low class. And attempt to make them... Like, hey... I, you know, I'm not a bad person. Look at this person that I'm taking care of, right? And that's why Farley feels so betrayed is because he's actually kind of blood-related to the Cattons and he's, um, or he is blood-related to the Cattons and he's not receiving the same type of treatment that Oliver is as a pure outsider. So I'm willing to admit, I think my initial read on the film was incorrect. I would not like to believe that the director believes that the middle class and and lower class basically any class lower than the ultra wealthy are coming for everything that you have and are trying to take away all of the things that you own and are trying to destroy you from the inside out i I don't think that she truly believes that and i don't think that was the i don't think that was the way that this was meant to be portrayed so i'm walking back on that initial reaction but the interesting thing about eat the rich is the theme of consumption eating spending opulence purchasing um the cat and family they own all of these relics and photos and paintings and things that people you know your average person could only dream of having and because of the class that they're in right they don't try to hide that they're terrible people they don't try to hide that they're incredibly shallow or that um they 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 take people in out of a way to kind of save face in a way like i think about pamela right they wanted her to leave they did because whenever she brought up that she didn't want to basically overstay her welcome at the beginning of the film. They're like, oh no, like, you're not stay- You're not overstaying. Like, we would love to have you. And then as soon as she's like, oh, well, I think my sister actually found me a place to stay. They're like, oh, that's wonderful. When will you be leaving? Everything is very fake. And they're all about appearance. They talk about Venetia and how she is bulimic and she's still fat. So it doesn't work anyway. And like... You know, they're not trying to hide who they are. But they can afford to be that way. Which is why the comment about Felix's dorm room being dirty, when Oliver says only only the rich can afford to be this dirty. It's true. Like, Felix is not trying to hide anything about himself. Oliver, though, on the other hand, is trying to hide everything about himself. He presents himself as having virtually no family he's an only child his dad's dead his mom's a drug addict and an alcoholic and you know he has nothing to look back on all he has is school he doesn't own a suit and he doesn't bring cufflinks for dinner and he like doesn't have a place to go over the summer like he tries every which way to pretend to be the poor helpless boy that he wants this family to think that he is so that way he can be treated as like their sort of charity case. And every now and again, you see through out the film that he does know a thing or two, right at the table when they're talking about the poet and how they you know drowned in a pool after seeing their doppelganger and he corrects Farley on the poet that uh, I, I guess allegedly fucked their own sister. Like, he knew that. He knew this random 16th century ceramicist that I've never heard of in my life and don't know the name of. Like, he definitely knows more about the upper class than he portrays to know. And it's almost like he's letting that facade slip up every time he, you know, makes a correction or acts like he... Um acts like he doesn't know how to order breakfast right like he probably really does but he's acting like he doesn't so a very fascinating uh contrast to the Catton family who don't hide who they are by any means and oliver who's hiding everything about himself but going back to the consumption aspect so we talk about eat the rich we talk about don't bite the hand that feeds you we talk about um, Oliver coming in and you know uh, performing oral sex um, on Venetia, and Felix saying, "Well, Farley said that you you know you guys were basically eating each other, and he is just he's he's drinking the bathwater that Felix bathed in. Like he's like trying to he's like a vampire, right? Like he's like." Trying to um get something from each of these people almost in a way to like become them. Like he's thinking in a way if he consumes this bathwater if he develops some sort of sexual relationship with the sister of Venetia, that he can become part of this class and become part of this family. Um it's very interesting it, it really is the consumption factor of the film is not one to be overlooked and the fact of the matter is everybody's consuming no one needs this level of opulence to survive no one needs this much land no one needs this house and the household staff like Everything is disposable to these people. Nothing really holds any value. Even their own son holds no value, right? They have the funeral for... Or, sorry, they find Felix's dead body. And then they go have lunch. Like, all their feelings are just pushed under the rug, pushed aside. They are flat as can be. They're self-absorbed. They only care about how others perceive them. And they want to be perceived as beautiful. Um, Elspeth makes comments about people's appearances constantly, and it's it's a very shallow existence that these people have. And it's really interesting the way that it's, um, it's illustrated throughout the film. And that's where I think Felix is a really interesting character in an, in his own right. Um, he kind of toes the line of, Not commenting on people's appearances and not, um, you know, wanting Oliver to pay for drinks at the bar because it's expensive and he knows that Oliver doesn't have the money. Like in a way, Felix is the only one who's kind of human, but he still sees these people that he brings home from school for the summer as a project, a toy, a pet, he wants to surround himself by people who are completely infatuated with him like that is his goal and it's funny that venetia of all of the characters because she's the one that probably has the Mm. no elspeth and james probably have the least amount of depth to their characters but venetia's up there with them and venetia when she's in the bathtub talking to oliver after the funeral says you know i don't think you're a spider i think you're a moth right moths are attracted to shiny things they're not they're constantly on the outside trying to get in you'll never have this because you weren't born into this this is for us this is not for you that also kind of leads me down to another thought pattern of duncan so duncan is really suspicious of oliver like throughout the film like he's Yes, he's a, sta- he's a staff member, right? Like, he's, like, the staff member. Um, he's chief of house. He's the one who keeps everything going. And he's the right-hand man to James and Elspeth and their family. And um, a very dedicated and loyal member of their staff, right? But it almost seems, throughout the film, that Duncan feels threatened by oliver too like he knows that oliver doesn't belong here he knows that oliver there's something up right butlers and and people who run households are, are relatively skilled i would say at the very least um they're experts in fact in in just trying to be accommodating but also in protecting the people who um they serve right and he didn't want Oliver having knowledge of the maze and like how to get through it that's why he stopped him when he was playing with the the toy version the miniature version in the study um and he's you know constantly looking at him and just making the most daggering eyes at him of anybody in the whole film even Farley which he hates Oliver and you can tell but it's almost like the help no i hate to call them the help the staff really is what they are i guess they they are permanently in their social class right this is how they view themselves and and maybe they are i don't know them right I've, i've never met these people um they're not real people they're characters in a film but they know that oliver is essentially of the same class as they are and they see him as some sort of threat because he might come in from the outside and magically become part of this world in which he—they don't feel like he deserves to be in. So it, that's a really interesting dynamic as well. But other than you know further discussion about class, right? Um, I think it's also important to discuss the maze. The minotaur what felix and oliver dress up as for the party oliver i i said he was wearing deer antlers because that's frankly what they are but when you look at the statue of the minotaur in the maze you kind of think oh well maybe he's not a deer he's not this lifeless You know, harmless uh, creature, like you would see a deer, right? Even though that's how he's portraying himself to everyone else. He's actually the minotaur, right? Minotaurs are um, animal head with human body. He doesn't look scary from the outside by wearing these antlers, but he's so unassuming and. He his enemies, right? He says, I hated I hated all of you to the Cat and family. Like he hated everybody. Those are his enemies. And the Minotaur, looking at Greek mythology, is um essentially a bull sent by Zeus. And there is a labyrinth or a maze that houses this this minotaur. So punishment would be made or given to those that were deemed worthy of punishment by sending them into the labyrinth. And the minotaur would catch them because they would get lost, right? We already know that um, Duncan said many lots of people get lost in Saltburn kind of hard to tell what that means without this prior knowledge of greek mythology right and so he's saying like if you get essentially implying if you get lost in this in this maze in this labyrinth like you're gonna get eaten and the labyrinth is not just the real one not just the real maze on the property but also it's the dynamic of navigating a class of people and like a you know a, a dinner scene or a dinner party and breakfast and having people do everything for you like sometimes that's hard to navigate right that's hard to find yourself in and out of um so knowing this oliver wearing the antlers he's not a deer he's a minotaur he's he's there to go into that labyrinth and eat his enemy again consumption it's a key part of this film felix is in the middle of the maze when they find him right next to the statue of the uh, minotaur right so he didn't get lost but he also didn't not get lost um he got lost in conversation and (laughs) This minotaur oliver he he got right to felix in the middle of this of this maze in this labyrinth and he he successfully conquered his enemy but looking at felix right he was wearing a pair of wings and again greek mythology wings you think of icarus so Icarus it's the story basically um I'll give you the abridged version because I know there's lots of details but essentially Icarus was granted a pair of wings from his father and his father tells him don't fly too high don't fly too low your wings are not strong enough. these wings are not strong enough to sustain either of those so kind of just go just right and icarus is dismissive of his father says i'm gonna do whatever i want to do thinks he's invincible and forgets the warning that his father gave um he eventually flies way too close to the sun and falls to his to his demise to his death um and so felix being the possibly too trustworthy i would argue he's a little too trustworthy considering the status that he grew up in um kind of flies too high with that right he he gets dangerously close to people or allows people to get dangerously close to him like he even invites them into his home and eventually it comes to bite him so it's not um it's not it's not hidden from us that he has invited others to stay with him in his family home previously so maybe he felt like he could fly a little closer with the minotaur that is oliver because he had some sort of outstanding trust with him and of course when you get too close sometimes it bites you in the ass and that's exactly what happened to felix um it it, it truly is very sad his death is very very sad lastly and briefly touching on the theme of the party a midsummer's night dream a midsummer's night dream is a um shakespearean play It's a comedy i believe um i've read it once if we're gonna be honest not my favorite that's okay doesn't have to be um but essentially it's about you know i'm sure we have all heard of puck the fairy puck is is just a fairy who's trying to help out a group of like you know a couple people who are lovers and and throughout the story like i said i'm not an expert in shakespeare <laughs> like but throughout the story there's at a certain point where there's a baby and it's like a changeling and it appears that I don't know if we should say that Oliver would be the fairy puck, necessarily. He doesn't swoop in to kind of try to help these people, because he comes in to try to hurt these people. But I was reading on um, an article that, of course, I'll link for everybody. um, And it has a lot of other, like, really key points that I think are, you know, super important. And there's a lot of symbolism that can be explained in this article, which is where I found this, in particular. Um, It is... A CBR article titled Saltburns Symbolic Ending Explained by Via Loren. Um, Again, I will post this in the show notes so you can all read it because I think it's really, really interesting. Um, But essentially, this article points out that Oliver is the changeling in the world of the Catton family. So... Elspeth really develops this close personal connection with Oliver in a way that nobody else really understands, but it appears as though she believes Oliver to be her son, even though he's not, therefore the changeling. Um, And no matter what happens, like she still loves him, right? Like she still has so much love for him everybody else is gone and she sees him in this coffee shop and is like well just come back to saltburn with me like there's nobody else standing in the way so it's very interesting this this article also talks about doppelgangers which again like this is not something that I caught on to but you might find interesting um doppelgangers absolutely terrify me by the way in every sense of the word and it's so there was a story when they were talking about the poet right and they said that the poet saw their doppelganger of the, a doppelganger of themselves and doppelgangers are like bad omens or they're um, they are supposed to be right symbolically and then this poet drowned later that day well I didn't catch this But in this article, thank you, Villarren, it says during breakfast, Oliver and the family are sitting around the table talking. When the shot is focused on Felix's side of the table, there is a large window behind him to the left. A figure walks by who is clearly Felix, even wearing the same clothing he is wearing while still sitting at the table as this takes place. So that was an omen i mean i didn't even catch i've seen this movie twice i didn't even catch this so yeah i mean all the pieces were laid out for us we just have to be willing to to digest them and take them for what they are so i've taken up enough time i think on this and and thank you so much if you made it this far i really cannot recommend this film enough um I also find it funny that, much like when we spoke about the killing of a sacred deer and Barry Keegan, there's still some some mythology here and, and quite a bit of symbolism, and I really do think that this is one of the smartest movies I've seen in, in a long time, so please check it out. Like I said, it's on Amazon right now, Amazon Prime, for free, so I would get there and do it fast before it's Behind a paywall of some sort. Before I let you go, I have to remind you, of course, that you can find um, my show and many others like it at morbidlybeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your home for horror. And if you love horror in any way, shape, or form, then you are welcome with us at morbidlybeautiful.com. Head on over to morbidlybeautiful.com to check it all out and show me some love and all of the other incredible contributors to the site some some major love everybody works very hard and i can't recommend our network enough and you know there's no amount of gratitude that i can verbally express to to demonstrate how meaningful this network has been to me you can find this podcast on google podcasts apple podcasts spotify stitcher amazon music and pocket casts If you enjoyed the show, it would mean the world to me if you left me a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. For any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, or requests, you can email me at finalgirlon6 at gmail.com or you can send me a message on Instagram at finalgirlon6. I will be back in two weeks after I uh, have my Sundance Film Festival experience and I'm very excited to talk to you all about that. So thank you again for listening and never forget that I am your very own final girl.